Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. It's Monday. Thank God we've gotten back on a little bit of a rhythm schedule over here on Mondays. Tyler Rucker is joining me for, I would consider this to be a really, not only fun, but also important episode tonight. We're not, this isn't your usual go down the rabbit hole of whatever the hell I wrote about for the morning dunk. That's that's not what this episode is. Although, if you did miss my most recent morning dunk this week, last week I focused on the NBA rookie class. This week I focused on the NBA sophomore class to round out some good coverage for no ceilings on the participants and who's going to be playing in the Rising Stars Challenge. Actually, Tyler, when you think about it, our conversation with Mr. Corey on the G League prospects, we quite literally hit everybody playing in the Rising Stars Challenge. So I think it was well-timed content on my end. And if you haven't read that, please go subscribe to the No Ceiling Substack, noceilings.substack.com. Check out my piece as well as the other piece of writing that we're going to be talking about tonight. The whole reason why I wanted to have Tyler on this podcast was because this mad scientist, as he calls himself so often, wrote a piece he called The Matrix of Scouting. And I shared this piece of content. Not only did I share it, obviously everybody on the team shared it, even... Even the great Chad Ford ended up sharing the piece and wanted to comment on it and say that this is a really great resource to not only share, but also dive back into yourself to really refresh yourself on how to approach scouting, how to exactly go about the process of scouting. So this is really important content for me to talk about tonight. And Tyler, I know you feel the same way. How are you doing, my friend? Are you ready to dive into some of this? Yeah, I'm I'm pumped about this episode. I think it's really important for all the, you know, guys like us that are wanting to be evaluators out there and analyze draft prospects. So I'm really honored that you're having me on Draft Deeper. Not only I always love to do this, but just to talk about this, this hits home. And I think this will help out a lot of people out there. Um, it's just, it's a really cool topic. And I, I think this is going to be a long one with a lot of good <laughs> feedback between me and you. So everyone listening, buckle up. This is going to be a special episode. So again, if you haven't read the piece, The Matrix of Scouting, please go do so on the No Silence Substack. But let's let's dive into it. So I'm not going to go through and, and we're not going to read the entire piece line for line. If you want to do that, like I said, go check it out. But I do want to hit on some important topics that you did write about in the piece um, sort of big picture points that I like to remind myself of every now and then and things that I also try to accomplish in my day-to-day scouting. And they're lessons that, as you mentioned, Tyler, they're lessons that you picked up along the way with some of your mentors. Some of these things I have also learned from, from a few of my mentors that, that I've had in the scouting space. So let's start with where I do want to lead off in person versus on-tape evaluation. This is this is really important to me because there are absolutely times when I'm watching a prospect on film and I cannot get a read on how, how big they actually are, how strong they actually are, how they move. Um, these are things that you really have to get an in-person feel for. I'll give you an example. When Corey and I got to see Keegan Murray in person the other week mm-hmm. at Rutgers, he was one of those guys I needed – I needed to not only see him on film, but I really needed to see him in person. I needed to see how he moved. I needed to see how quick he was. 
I needed to see what the jump shot looked like in person when we're talking about like, like the pregame workouts. And you also kind of want to take notice sometimes of how these guys interact with their teammates, their coaches. And when you're watching a game on tape, you're not always going to see that stuff. The camera is following the game. It's following the ball. It's the whole point of seeing a game on TV is to see the action behind it, right? Not necessarily pick up on all those little things that you and I would be interested in in terms of scouting. So why don't you just elaborate a little more about the in-person versus on-tape evaluation and why you, you think that's an important point to, to really bring up as far as discourse for, for young scouts out there and people who are trying to get better at doing this. Yeah, I mean – I like you said, if you guys haven't checked out the piece for everyone that, you know, reached out to me and gave me some support and everything about that. Thank you so much. It was awesome to, you know, hear that type of public response, but just a little background before I dive in, because I didn't want to come off as a know-it-all. I mean, you know, I don't have all of the answers. None of us do when it comes to scouting, but you know, I I'm very private about my background, but I kind of talked in that article, you know, I spent around 10 years working in the NBA. I coached overseas and throughout that time, I got to pick a lot of brilliant minds when it comes to scouts and personnel around the league and overseas international scouts. So, you know, with what we're doing at no ceilings talking about, you know, specific prospect evaluation, I also wanted to help out the draft community with, what I've learned, you know, what can I pass on to help people get better with this? And, you know, this is one of the most important things is I, I joked in the article in-person scouting, like it's really easy to sit home and just watch tape. Like it's fun to binge it like a Netflix season. Like we, we, we know all, because you tell us you do it every single night. Oh, every night. What hour of the night. Right. That's, that's basically my ritual before I go to sleep at late hours is, you know, you can watch film, you can binge watch it, but seeing it in person is a completely different ball game. Uh, like you're saying, Nathan, like you'll find prospects throughout this, you know, procedure where you're going to get stuck on. You're going to try to say, say I, I don't really have this great feel for the type of player they are. I don't know what where to put them on my big board. I don't know what range they are, you know other people might be raving about someone and you can't really get on that same wavelength. So I always say, go see them. If, if you have the ability to go see them in person, it is a completely different world. Um, you know, you're seeing things like someone might be listed at six, eight. And when you're standing next to them in pregame shoot around, they look a lot bigger than six, eight, you know, they look lengthy. They look, yep. you know, you get to see their wingspan in person. You get to see all these, physical attributes that you might think you can tell on tape, but you can't, you got to see them up close. See, so see th- our debate with, between Corey and I literally last week when we were talking about the G league night guys and right. they really battled it out over how tall these guys actually are and what they measure out at. Well, you're the only way you're going to find that out is to a get a little bit of Intel from some other people, which is another topic we're going to hit on in a second, but B just go see them yourself. If you have the ability to. Right. And you know, one of the top guys that I had issues with in the beginning of the year was Chet Holmgren. So I got in the car, I drove to Las Vegas and I went and watched Chet. You know, I went and saw that tournament where he was playing against teams like UCLA and watching him on tape, I thought it was a different player than when I saw him in person. When I saw him in person, I was like, okay, he looked really skinny on tape. And when I saw him, I was a little bit more encouraged. 
I was way more impressed with his fluidity in person and he's fluid on tape. But when I saw him in person, I was like, man, he really glides all over the court. And I, I actually, I'm glad you brought up Chet yeah. because I did want you to talk about what you and Albert were able to notice when you watched him in shoot around and some of his shooting mechanics. You even said this on the podcast, but definitely right. at that point. Um, when I saw him at shoot around, because one of my important things that I highlighted in the article about going to see in person is get there early, go to shoot around, see how Absolutely. they handle themselves. See, are they taking game shots? Are they, you know, strategic and almost robotic with their preparation before the game and watching Chet in warmups was one of the most impressive things I've watched, you know, in a while. Cause it was just this completely different player that you're like, Oh my gosh, he can do some stuff that, you can't see on tape, you know, where it's, I've watched guys throughout the NBA warmup. Um, you know, I've always, the side story, I've always said Kawhi Leonard was the most impressive NBA player I've ever watched warm up because he lands in the same spot. No matter what he does, it's so robotic. That's why we joke the guy's a robot. But watching Chet, you could just see like there is stuff in his game that is just waiting to come out to the surface. Like he's, shooting and putting handles down pull up like durant and you're like oh my gosh okay i see why this guy's getting all this hype but also when i was there with albert i told albert you know watching chet defensively you can see him analyze the floor which is something you can't see on tape and you might think you can but it's just watching tendencies watching interactions with teammates watching communication like listening to players there's so much stuff you can see that that's why in person compared to tape is just a completely different ballpark. Yeah, it's it's absolutely important to get the in person look at guys when you can. Sometimes I really do feel like if I'm not able to get to a game that hour hour and a half before to go shoot around, it's like, yeah, there are some things you can pick up in the game as you just said that maybe you aren't necessarily looking for on tape because they're like pronounced right in front of you. Right. But I really value that shoot around time because I work a day job, right? I work on Monday through Friday, nine to five. I don't have the ability to, even though I'm not that far away from some colleges for to, to see some good practices and good scrimmages, I don't have the ability to go to a college every, every like Wednesday afternoon or whatever and see that team practice. Like, when you get there for a shoot around and you're able to see these guys warm up and go through the drills and get a feel for how they, how they compose themselves, how they're warming up, how they're talking to the teammates. Like this is information that you really do need to do your job effectively. And I, I try to pride myself as much as I do on bringing some of those points into my evaluation. How mature is a prospect? How do they handle them? How do they carry themselves with their teammates, with their coaches when they mess up on the court how do they respond when they get that feedback from another player or another coach? And these are some of the things that you can pick up on in practice just by seeing how they interact with everybody. Are they completely off by themselves? Are they silent? If they are, why do you yes. think they're like that? Is it just part of their personality who they are? Do you think there's maybe something else going on? You know, these are all things that you can pick up on. So that's why I think being able to expose yourself to basketball in person is much more than just trying to dissect how a player cuts to the basket or gets up a jump shot. Although those are things you can take away. There's more to it than that. And that's why 
you've referenced multiple times in your piece about how we are information gatherers. That's what we right. are as scouts. And you can't do that without actually getting your boots on the ground and seeing these guys as well as talk to people. And I'll, I'll actually skip ahead to what I had third on my list. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about how Intel is everything. And mm -hmm. you referenced that multiple times in the piece, not just in that specific section, but Tyler, in your mind, what exactly qualifies as Intel? Like explain that for, for the audience for a second, because some people might think they have Intel if they're just keeping up on Twitter and seeing reports and things from, you know, credential journalists and all those kinds of things. But when we say Intel, what exactly do you and I mean by that when we're having conversations about prospects? Yeah, I think there's, it's the most important part of scouting, like scouts, that can get good intel are ones that stick around and have a yep. very long career at this. You know, the, it's it's background. It's what makes a player tick. You know, how are they on and off the court? It's something that scouts, NBA personnel will go to team managers of colleges and ask them, like, how does this player work? How does he carry himself? Do his teammates like him? Um, is he always interacted? Does he carry himself the right way off the court? Is he a gym rat? Does he come in early? Does he stay late for practices? Does he work after, you know, do his teammates rave about him? Um, does he have a history in high school where he was a hard worker? Like they go back, they go yep. far. And then it's also the juicy stuff where it's off the court intel, where they dive deep and they find out like, who is this individual you know who is this person as an individual i mean it, it is amazing some of the stories i've heard that like the depth of intel that these guys get when Absolutely. they're evaluating a prospect because it's not just what they're doing on the court like teams are looking at these guys of we're about to invest millions of dollars in a potential 19 year old moving forward so we need to make sure that like he's got his head on straight um that he's going to be an asset that represents our organization the right way. And that's why I said, like, we will have plenty of frustration when we have a guy ranked 10th that falls to 23rd on our big board our, in the draft. There's stuff going behind the scenes. Like, yep. usually that's something's going on. It's not just the medicals. It could be, hey, there's there's some bad intel about this guy. You know, it's it's getting around the league. And when someone gets good intel and it's alarming, you can bet that the rest of the league is probably going to find that similar intel. And that's where you got to worry. But And intel is not always behavioral either. It's also medical right. as well. Like oh, anytime we're able to pick up on something like that, I mean, that, that changes the evaluation. It might not mean that when we knock somebody down a board, it might not always be because we saw something on tape. Like I can't tell you how many times I walked into the war room for, for the old scouting company that I used to work for. And we'd be looking at updating like our composite rankings by position. And I'd walk in, I'd see somebody a lot lower than I expected. I'd be like, Oh, what's, what, what's going on here? Right. Like you flip on the tape, play, player X definitely does not de deserve to be ranked here. And then it's like, well, play, player X, there's, there's some things going on. So it's it definitely factors in, but in in gathering that intel, Tyler, that ties right back into the very first thing that we talked about in person, right? right? It's not just about seeing the players as well, 
But you're getting to a shoot around and you have the right access, like you have a media credential or whatever the case may be, and you're able to walk around and talk to people and develop those relationships, get yes. to know people. Those that's the exactly the kind of intel that you and I are talking about. And I know that that you didn't just develop sources for for where you're at right now just by showing up to work and, and, and clocking in and clocking out. Like you absolutely stayed around after hours you were you were at practice you were ready to go doing your job because that's that's really how you develop these relationships you don't just get them just from clocking in and out of the job so why don't, why don't you talk to me about that a little bit yeah i mean if you're trying to like i, I want to talk about this one day in length too if you're trying to get into the mba you're always going to hear that relationships matter and it's true in like, this business it definitely does you can't yeah. you can't hide around it like Take it from someone that I was like, no, hard work will pay off. Like, no, you need to build relationships. And I learned that too late down the road. And once I did learn that, you have to put in time with people that are within the industry. With no, Like, they know stuff. Yep. So you can't just go to a practice for the first time and be like, you know, walk up to a team manager and be like, so what's his negative? What's, what's the background? Like, you right. have to build some trust. You have to go out of your way to put in time off the court. Maybe it's going out to dinner with these guys or, you know, just checking in with them, building a friendship, building a relationship. So once you get that trust, um, that's where some doors open and they start to trust you with some things we're passing on. And, you know, just because like I have some guys that will tell me until it's not like I'm rushing to social media to be like, okay, sources. Like I, I just don't, you we're, know, we're not reporters, man. That's I don't not, care about that stuff. <laughs> I'd rather use it for like me getting better as an evaluator. Like, okay, that's interesting. Like, can I go back and watch the tape and feel different? Or do I just say, I don't care. Like, even if you get some bad intel, maybe you still believe in what your eyes are telling you. So it's fascinating. It's, it's all part of the process, but NBA teams love intel. I mean, the guys yeah. that get good intel stick, like I said before, so. And that really comes back to, I know that, that we're going to move on past these two topics and we're eventually, you know, we're, we're going to get into some of the nuances of scouting the game itself. But mm -hmm. we had to start here because this is really how you get better as an evaluator. It's how you get your foot in the door in places to be able to gather more information and ultimately get better. You have to remember that when we talk about cultivating and building relationships, with players, with, with other scouts, with executives, with media, like we're all people, man. Like at the end of the day, if you don't show up to work with the right attitude and with the, the willingness to treat everyone else, how they want to be treated and just show base levels of respect and actually care about who they are as people and, and what they're thinking about and pay attention to them. Like you're not going to get anywhere. That, that's not how you build relationships. As you said, I, I love that you said that. You can't just show up, ask the team manager, be like, hey, man, what's going on with this player when you've never met him a day in your life? Like, you have to actually take the time to get to know people. And right. a lot of the time, you're spending more time. You're putting more time and resources into that part of the business than necessarily what you're trying to do watching film or, or breaking down these prospects because – once you have the pipeline of information flowing, that makes your job so much easier on the back end because you already have answers for this question and this question and this question. So we, we absolutely had to start there. 
with the podcast, but let's let's move into scouting itself. Yes. Let's talk about some of the yeah, I know, right? Fi- finally, we're gonna finally. do this podcast <laughs> Jesus. Let's get but, to the dessert, you know. <laughs> right, right. So let's let's talk about the first topic that I highlighted regarding scouting itself, which would be the timing of evaluating prospects. When you talk about don't get too high, don't get too low, follow up and track progress. And Tyler, you you referenced it in your piece. You've referenced it to all of us in the background. Like, why are we doing a big board in December? Like, Mm -hmm. it all comes back to the same point that you went into depth, and I'll let you go further into depth about it, that you like to evaluate a large enough sample size to the point where you feel comfortable about where this prospect started and where they ended. And I would agree with that as well, because when you actually follow the process, when you follow actually putting a big board together in December and January versus April and May, so much more information you have in the second half of the year. You really have to evaluate a large sample size, because if you only take these small chunks of the season into account, you're going to see these massive rises and these massive falls on big boards. This happened to all of us. Uh, just a little spoiler for everybody listening to this podcast. By the time you hear this, you will have already seen our update to the no ceilings composite big board. This 3.0 board is going to look a lot different than 2.0 or 1.0 because we have a lot more information at play. We feel a lot more comfortable with our evaluations from top to bottom. And the great part about it is we still have two months left of basketball. We still have pre-draft workouts. We still have opportunities to get more Intel like we just talked about from some of these workouts. So the process isn't done, but the further along you get, the larger of a sample size you give yourself to evaluate these prospects, the better of a job you're going to do. So you, you can't get can't get too high, can't get too low. You have to essentially trust the process, trust your instincts. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and and before we get too deep down the rabbit hole, I just want to make sure to point this out for anyone that hasn't read the article and is just listening because, you know, this is really important. Like what I wrote about isn't something where I'm saying you have to do this. It's more of just, I've kept saying, find your own process, find your own system that you want to, but remember these points that you can always go back to, because like I said, you know, we're all going to have our own system. We're all going to have our own ways. Like Nathan has his own way of evaluating. I have my own way. Like there's going to be parts of it that are similar, but nothing's the same. So, you know, what I've always been taught, um, what I got passed on was one of my favorite things was don't get too high. Don't get too low after one game, which means, you know, if you watch Chet Holmgren have 25 and 15 and four blocks, you're going to be like, man, this is the number one pick. Just pump the brakes. Like remember it. Keep moving forward, evaluate other games, like because also the, the game's going to happen where he has eight and four and has a tough night shooting. So don't all of a sudden say, well, I got to move him down to 10th on my big port. No, one, you know, don't get too high, don't get too low. Trust the whole slate. And what I also got passed on, which was like, have your check-ins with prospects. Um, I, I joked in the article and said, it's almost like going to a doctor and getting your routine checkup. Like, I do three cycles, which is I check on someone in the beginning of the year. I check how they're progressing in the middle of the year. And then I try to see the end of the year with the full slate. And then I kind of go and pick it all apart because you want to see the progressions throughout the year. You want to see 
you know, did he have that stretch of games where things started to click and the confidence is surging? Did he struggle out in the beginning of the year? He was really cold. You know, um, Peyton Watson, UCLA, struggling to get minutes. Now we're starting to see some flashes almost, you yeah. know, 20 games into the year. Um, Jaden Ivey, his freshman year, struggled for that first half of the season. End of the year, he just starts going crazy. So it's really I mean, this important. year, a number of guys like Max yes. Christie has been up and down boards. Bryce McGowan's has been up and down boards. You mentioned Caleb Houston. Yeah, Caleb I mean, Houston, Ismati Diang. Like, exactly. We can go on and on and on. So it's just really important. Like, don't don't watch one guy at his cold streak and just be like, "I'm okay, I'm out on him." No, go back, give him some more chances to see if he's starting to develop his game. If things are starting to come around, because you know, not everyone's Paulo Bancaro that's lighting the world on fire. Game one, you know, Chad Holmgren, like we keep bringing him up, he's starting to get really confident right now. He's putting up some really strong games. Not to say he wasn't doing it before, but now it's becoming another level that he's taking forward. So it's just I, I, I got to hit on that point about Chet though, really yeah. quick, because I brought it up, brought it up with Sam Vecini on the pod, and we looked at some of Chet's shooting numbers from the right. outside, and he really, really, really struggled for shooting the ball from the perimeter early on this season. Like I would, I, I would see people tweet on social media, be like. Oh, I think this is the best Chet jumper that, that he's had like all year. And it's I I I wanted to clap back sarcastically and be like, well, dude, you don't exactly have many to choose from. Like right, he right, hasn't right. made that many on the year. But when you go back and you you start at the beginning, you take notes on what you've seen in person, right? Which you and Albert got to see him up close yes. go and shoot around. You saw how he's able to shoot the ball, the types of moves, counters that he has when he's in practice, when he's practicing sizing somebody up and you see all the potential there when you're able to see that up close in person it's not as easy to just put that in the back of your mind and, and look at the numbers and say oh well the, this is the right reflection of the player that he is no you go back to what you saw you go back to your intel and you have the confidence and the faith that eventually because he's a freshman adjusting to a new level of play the talent's going to win out eventually he's going to figure it out and to your point like you've put on multiple times on social media, whether it's your account or on those ceilings about how hot Chet's been lately, like absolutely sizzling for three point range. Like this is a lot of what we're talking about. Sometimes to quote yourself, it just takes time. Well, and I, I don't want to be just ranting about Chet, but this is the best example. Is exactly he, he's, like, he's a great example. We'll have a few he, examples, but he's a great one. Just exactly what you were talking about. I wanted to go off of like me and Albert saw Chet in person and we got to see him at shoot around multiple games. And if I didn't have that opportunity to see him at shoot around, I would have a hundred percent been one of these guys that was like, man, I'm nervous about that outside shot. Like it, it's, he hasn't really been hitting it. Can he not shoot? But I saw him with Albert just going crazy from outside and shoot around. I mean, I think Albert came up to me one time. He's like, he's hit like 12 threes in a row. And I was like, yeah, you got to put that in your mind when people are freaking out. If he goes, you know, 30% over the next six games, you got to remember like, okay, it's there. It just hasn't translated to the court yet. Now we're starting to see that that shot, that confidence, which confidence is everything in a prospect. Yep. I mean, that confidence is surging now. So now he's just, he's lighting the world on fire. And I think all of that stuff's really important. And this is a lot of stuff that me and Nathan are talking about. So like you can get overwhelmed 
there's stuff we won't even mention that you have to think about it. And that's why in person, um, evaluating on tape, uh, tracking players throughout the year, like you're going to find different stuff that you want to focus on pick. Like it's crazy, but it's, it's a, it's a mind game. You just got to think of everything you possibly can when you're evaluating these guys. You see how we're doing this podcast. It's, it's, it's all going to come together <laughs> at the end of the podcast. I promise we're throwing everything down the funnel. Eventually it's all going to be one product. So these are just the separate pieces that we have to, go over as we're doing this, the last example that I'll give on that very thing when we talk about trusting what you see by the eye test, not necessarily just having the percentages be the be-all, end-all of your evaluation. Last year, Tyler, one of our favorite prospects, Alperin Shengud, right? Yes. Everybody wants to talk about him as this theoretical stretch big, but they look at the numbers. They see he's only shooting 19%, I believe is what it was, something like that from three-point range. But you would see some of these makeshift clips that people would take on YouTube. So some of these people who are actually like at games in person and they, they you'd find these videos on YouTube of him warming up and hitting like these step back three point shots. And you would see what his mechanics looked like in that situation. And I, I saw those and I went, Oh my God, like it might not happen right away. Right. But this dude's going to be a shooter. Like this dude's going to be able to legitimately stretch the floor. And I know that as the year has gone on now for the Houston Rockets, it's kind of come back down to earth a little bit in terms of shooting percentages, but he got off to a great start at the beginning of the year, like over 40% from three-point range, great start. And so while he still has plenty of work to do, you can you were able to see last year if you did the homework right of what exactly it looks like and ultimately where he can be as long as he puts the work in. And that's really a great segue into the next point that I wanted to bring up from your piece. Find what they can do. Yes. And I love this point because it's really easy to hop on social media or hop in a group chat over text or hop on a phone call and just start trashing a prospect and be like, Oh, I saw him. Like I was so pumped to see this guy, but when I saw him, he couldn't do this. He couldn't do this. He couldn't do this. And it's really easy to kind of get on this negative track of thinking and just immediately rocket a prospect down the board. Right. But that's a, that's a horrible way to think about this process because we're, as I said before, we're all human, right? It's especially freshmen who are evaluating coming into the draft. You really do have to give these guys some time. And I use this example all the time. Like I, I'm your regular common, common man, your average Joe showing up to punch the clock in nine to five Monday through Friday. But I would consider myself to be a good worker. Some sometimes yeah. even a great worker. I've done it. You're great. A, You're a great worker. Let's, come on, don't humble yourself, okay? Nathan's Nathan's a great worker. You're a hard worker. But but I, I've also gone through plenty of struggles in in multiple jobs that I've had right from the jump. And sometimes it's taken me quite a while to figure some things out. The job that I'm in right now, I mean, shoot, I've been in this role for for almost a year. It's taken me all of that time to really figure out exactly what the hell I'm doing. And it's a common quote for a lot of people. It generally takes them a year to really figure things out. So when we're talking about a freshman prospect who's stepping up to a new level of play, that adjustment period, it's really easy to pick out the negatives. Right. What what can they actually do on the floor that can help them – maintain minutes to continue to improve the causal, but also once they get up to the NBA, how are they going to get on the floor to earn minutes to get better? And and those are really the parts that I love to focus on because 
there's only one way to get better at basketball, and that's playing basketball. You don't yes. get better just riding pine on the bench, right? You have to be able to do something on the court, and sometimes it's not the sexiest of things, but if a player has one or two skills that we know will translate that can fill some type of role in the NBA, that's what scouting is all about. It's about highlighting that talent to help somebody get to where they want to go. So I, I know I just elaborated a ton on the point. I, I might have taken some words from you, but why, no, why don't you just further further elaborate on that? No, I want you to elaborate because I think it's, it's – I've pointed this out. Like I think it's really important to get different mentalities. You know, let's, let's stay with – Shangun, because me and you were both high on, on a guy like this. Shangun was getting some buzz. And, you know, when he was getting buzz in the draft community, everyone's, this is something that I wrote about, and I think this bugs me. Everyone's quick to point out negatives. Like, everyone was like, okay, competition level. Can he play defense? And I'm like, okay, is everyone watching his playmaking? Is everyone watching his feel for the game? Like, that's what we should be talking about. Like, find out what they do. Like, what can they do that is going to be an NBA skill set? Like, what is right. their NBA ability? Then we can go back and figure out, like, okay, is that going to be an elite strength? Like, an elite NBA skill? Shingun's playmaking ability is unbelievable. He was one of the youngest prospects in his class. He looks like a guy that in two years we might be going, oh my gosh, this guy's a monster. Yep. But we were all focusing, like a lot of people focus on the negatives. We want to point out negatives right away. Oh, but he's too slow. Oh, he's but he's slow. not the longest guy. Yeah. He's not big enough to play center. Like blah, 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 blah. I was just like, dude. Like, well, first of all, I don't know how you took those comments when you were evaluating him last year, but when people were saying that he was small, I'm sorry. I didn't realize 6'10", 240 pounds was small for anybody playing the game of basketball. My my apologies. That dude would quite literally throw me across an alleyway and beat me to a pulp if I found him in, in a dark alley somewhere. So I didn't realize I was small. I'm sorry. But no, and I, I, I had to throw that point out there. I, I saw it. Some people were like, he's not that athletic. And I was like, I just saw him full sprint down a lane and throw down like a vicious slam at yes. 6'10", 250. I'm going to be okay with it. Like, And I know I'm saying don't be negative. It's fine if you want to be like, okay, I, he looks like he might struggle as a defender. I got to make note of that. Like, that's fine. I just think a lot of people ignore the positives so they can focus on the negatives. And it's like, yeah, like we have to figure out if he can be an NBA defender, but his basketball IQ, his awareness on both sides, his playmaking ability and feel for the game are outstanding. So we should be weighing that more than you know okay this one thing could be a negative because all of a sudden he has these aspects to his game that are outstanding so you know tying that all around i just think it's really important you need to find out what a guy can do um and i've used this as an example like if we're projecting someone as a three and d guy is he a three and d guy or are we yeah. thinking he's going to be a three and d guy because there's a big difference like is he in college or amateur level is he at a ability right now where he can come in and give you buckets from downtown or play strong defense like is that a nba skill right now or are we thinking the 32 percent college shooter is going to all of a sudden become a 43 percent in the pros like there's there's just questions you have to analyze but you need to find out what they can do and then you put the pieces to the puzzle and start projecting their range because nba teams want to know if we put this guy in the court right now, 
is he going to help us in a specific area or, you know, is he going to be a, you know, Achilles heel out there? So that's what I'm saying where it's like, find out what they can do. It'll make your entire evaluation easier once you pick their specific skill set. And we don't say that because we want to write all these puff pieces for no right. ceilings about propping these guys up and saying, oh, my God, they're amazing. They're spectacular. They're the best thing since sliced bread. And not talk about their negatives because we do talk about negatives. We do point out areas that need to improve or areas that are concerning. But you can't just you, you can't make a whole piece out of the positives and you can't make a whole piece out of the negatives. You got to bring both of them together and figure out the right role for that player on the court and how to properly use them on the court to their strengths. And identifying their strengths is definitely um, a, a really big part of that. And speaking of negatives, that ties into the other half of this. So there's you wrote about finding what they can do, but you also wrote about paying attention to the off night. Yes. And this this is great because when we were talking about the the three and D concept, Max Christie immediately popped into my head. And why did Max Christie pop into my head? Because we were projecting him as a three and D player before the season started. Season starts out. He's not off to a great start shooting the basketball. Has actually been pretty good defensively the, the entire year, which is quite frankly, that's really what's kept him um, in my mind is how good he's been defensively on the perimeter at 6'6 with length, you know, that's going to translate to the NBA level. But in terms of his shooting consistency, this could, this actually this falls right in line with Caleb Houston as well. Like if we're projecting you as a three and D player, that better not be theoretical. Like you better be shooting like 36% or above from three point range. And sometimes these prospects are going to go through slumps. Sometimes they're not going to have the greatest starts to the year, but it's not always about how you start. It's about how you finish. And that to me is really important before we get into more of the specifics about paying attention to the off night. But in terms of up and down consistency, the only reason why guys like Max Christie and Peyton Watson, for example, the only reason why they weren't on the second edition of my big board. And I'm glad that I'm able to kind of show this as the year goes on, as we do these monthly updates right. is because they weren't playing up to a certain level where I was comfortable projecting a specific role for them in the NBA. And I was like, Maybe it's best if these guys are not in the drafts. Maybe it's best if I'm projecting these guys to maybe come back to school for another year. So that really comes back to not getting too high on prospects, too low on prospects. It's not that I got too low on them, but it's also maybe there's another opportunity for these guys to ultimately enter the draft next year and propel their stock. But at the same time, if they come around and they're playing consistently up to a certain level, I'll gladly bring them right back into the conversation. I'm not just burying these guys at all for the entire course of the season because they have a stretch at the beginning of the year, like five, six games, and they're shooting like 20% from the field. Like, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to give honest projections about how we feel they can come in and impact an NBA roster or to, to sometimes G League roster from, from day one. That's just our job. So before we get into some more of the, the off-night specifics, why don't you just talk about the highs, lows in general? Yeah, I mean, a guy off the top of my head, I, I've we've joked like I can't stand big boards, but I actually have loved doing it this year with all of you guys at No Ceilings because exactly what you just said, it has been such a good tool for my evaluation of tracking movement with guys throughout the year of like, maybe I was too quick to give up on him, you know, yeah. like, and Christy and Houston were exactly two guys where I was like, 
I loved Max Christie the first couple games of the year. And I was like, oh man, he has some tools. He has some intrigue. I'm in. That might be my guy this year. And then he got just this slump where slumps happen, but he was a slump where he just wasn't hitting the outside shot. And I'm like, I don't want to give up on him. And then I kind of moved him down and he all of a sudden has this stretch of games where I'm like, there it is. Like uh, he's building the momentum to come back. Caleb Houston, same story. Um, I say this guy's name wrong every time and I'm convinced there's been 78 different pronunciations. So I'm just going to go with what I think it is. Ujman Jiang um, is a guy that I was very out on in the beginning of the year. And I just started to watch his games again. And he's shown me some flashes where now I'm like, okay, um, this, this might be happening where I was just like, this guy needs another year, beginning of the year. Now I'm seeing a little bit of flashes and I'm like, okay, those are some tools. Like those are something that I think an NBA team is going to be convinced on where it's 6'10 with these flashes. They might be like, hey, we're going to take him at 29 if he's on the board. Like there's just too much upside. So I think it's really important to, you know, just figure out the highs and lows and kind of ride with the wave and, and understand that, it's not going to be all highs right out of the gate. Um, guys are going to find their stretches and find their grooves, like you're saying. So in riding that wave, obviously there's going to be some great nights. Yes. But there's going to be some off nights. And yes. I think it's an important point that multiple people have brought up on social media when they've said, I like to not only watch prospect at his best, but I like to specifically hunt out games where they were at their worst. And I've operated the same way for many years because if something's not working, I want to try and figure out why. Right. Sometimes I don't have the answer for that, but sometimes the tape is able to tell me those things and it's able to give me a clear picture of this prospect's evaluation. Like, all right, if this isn't working, what about if he comes back the next game and he takes this approach? How does this work? And when that happens, it's great to see a player have success when we're able to figure out the answer, figure out the issue to the problem, and we're able to fix it. But some nights, there will be multiple games where that's not the case. And an answer isn't always easy to come by. And prospects struggle with certain aspects, particularly putting the ball in the damn basket, which is really, at the end of the day, what we want to see from these guys. We want to see the scoring. We want to see the shooting because offense – translates first and foremost because it's the most exciting part of the game of basketball. It's what really plays into the box office appeal of the sport. And at the end of the day, when we're scouting, if you're scouting for an NBA team, that's what general managers, executives, owners, they want to see the box office appeal of their team. They want to put people in the stands. They want to have them watching on TV. So that's the easy part. But when that's not happening, that doesn't mean that a player still can't contribute in other areas on the floor. So when you talked about that section in your column, Tyler, pay attention to the off night. Um, when a player isn't shooting the ball well, what are some of the things you are paying attention to on the court? Like, what are some of those things you're looking for? I think this is one of the most valuable things you can do when you're evaluating prospects is – it's so easy for us to see the 30 point night and be like, I can't wait to watch that film. I think you can learn so much from the two for 12 from the field five point game, because yep. you can just pick up so much about this player. It's the mentality. It's how they handled themselves throughout adversity. Yep. You know, it's, 
this, body language or, oh my God, when we body, get language, body language doctor. Yeah. I mean, you can watch a guy and you can even do this on tape. Um, you can watch a guy and just say he just, for the life of him, he can't make a shot that night. I just say, okay, that's fine. Like, what else are you doing? Like, what else are you doing in that game to help your team pull out a win? Are you saying my shot's not falling? I need to get to the free throw line. Are you saying I need to turn into a playmaker and, and get my teammates in a position to succeed because I'm just not shooting it well? Um, if they come out of the game, are they engaged in what's going on on the court? Are they sulking on the bench? Are they just kind of being like, man, this sucks. I can't make a shot. Or are they saying like, screw this. We still got to get a win. Like, I think you can just pick up so much tendencies, the type of player it is because Bad nights happen. And that's what I'm saying. Like, pay attention to the off night. Do they just become a defensive menace because the offensive side of the ball isn't working? You can just learn so much about a prospect. And that's where, like, the mentality, the, the gritty guys stand out because they're just like, screw this. I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to get us a win. You know, and I've seen games where Jaden Ivey's not really hitting the outside shot where it's just like, okay, he's becoming a lethal playmaker. Like, there's just other aspects of the game where if you are still falling in love with a guy that has a terrible shooting night and there's other aspects of his game that really impress you, there's something special there. Like that's when you're really starting to see like, okay, this guy can impact the game in other ways than just, you know, scoring or um, maybe he's having a bad defensive night. It's like, okay, does he, does he snap himself out of it and, and figure out a way to help his team? Like all really important stuff. I think that's, crucial when you're nitpicking you know the difference between a guy that might be fourth or sixth on your board maybe you you see that off night and you see something that stands out and that really comes back to a, another earlier point that that we discussed that i brought up the humanity of the game the mm -hmm. humanity of the sport i gotta be honest i the, there are absolutely days where i show up and i try to do my job and work and nothing i mean literally <laughs> nothing goes right for me. I know you've probably been in the same situation yeah. yourself. When, but when Too many times. When, when nothing's going right, when you absolutely hate your life in that particular moment, it's not to say that we're not sulking about it. It's not to say that we're not angry or upset about it. But how do you respond? Despite those negative emotions, do you fight through them? And do you still get the job done to, your be to the best of your ability? And just like in real life, businesses are always looking to hire those types of people because – Real life problems happen and real life problems require real life solutions. And right. it's the same way in basketball. If you're showing up and you're having an off night shooting the ball from the field, there's still more that needs to be done on offense. That ball still needs to move to a player who can get the ball in the basket. And there's a whole other end of the game that, that needs to be played in terms of defense. You still need to show up and do your job and prevent the other team from scoring on that end as well. Can, can you fight – a real world problem with a real world solution. And when you're able to see that on film, when you're able to see that in person, when here we go, connecting more dots back to what we talked about, when you're able to pick up that Intel from a trusted source, that that's the type of player who's in the locker room every single day, regardless of what's going on with the team. Maybe they're having a dispute with a coach. Maybe something's happening off the court and life's just hard for them. Are they still showing up and contributing to the best of their ability and doing their job. And sometimes you find that out there Intel. Sometimes you're able to see that on film, but paying attention to the off night, paying attention to when things get tough, how do you respond in that situation? 
absolutely, absolutely important because everybody has off nights. We're not, we're not perfect. At least I, I know I'm not perfect. So I, I, <laughs> I no, nothing else needs to be said there. I know I'm not perfect, but let's, let's move on to another intersecting topic, value versus potential and fit is everything. I kind of rolled those two into one because they do come they do come together to an extent in that it's important to recognize the immediate value a player brings to earn minutes on the court like we talked about earlier. But it's also important to recognize how close they may be to developing or further crafting other skills that could help them get on the court. So how how does fit factor in in terms of a player's development and what we're able to learn from a scouting perspective like we we see this come up all the time i mean i've even had some some people point out like kennedy chandler's situation at tennessee the the obvious one to me which will tie into the next topic we'll talk about so we'll we'll give him a two-part stage patrick baldwin that certainly plays into it as well talk about immediate value versus potential and how fit can sometimes mean a lot more in that context than we might care with it. Yeah, this one could get a little crazy um, just because it's, it's such a interesting, but specific topic. You know, we're always going to say the draft is all about fit. And I do have always believed that, you know, if a prospect goes to a specific team and fits in, you know, seamlessly, like where he can grow, he can blossom. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga with the Warriors, I thought he landed in a perfect fit because they were just going to have this system of, you know, locker room presence, veterans that can kind of show him the ropes. They had a, a really strong staff to develop them. Like, there, that was a great fit. Um, but I also think it's really important when you're talking about evaluating prospects of the fit, the system that they're in right now, um, it might not be the perfect fit. And I know, like you said, we're going to talk about the next segment too, kind of in this, but you have to also understand, like, the fit they're in now might not be showcasing their skills at a top level. Um, They might be required to do something differently. Um, I think it's also important to, you know, when you're evaluating that fit, when it comes to potential and value in the draft, how does this player fit with his next team? Like, can he earn early minutes with his immediate value or does he, have to be patiently developed to reach, you know, his potential. Like, I, I think there's just this fine line you have to walk where in the draft, you know, I said in the article in, in the NBA draft, like a guy like Chris Duarte might entice teams at a certain range because of his value. Like he enticed the Indiana Pacers because he had the value to come in and help right away. Um, where that was a more, sexy pick compared to maybe drafting someone with a higher potential. So I just think there's, there's definitely interesting parts of the evaluation process where you have to weigh all of that and it can cause some headaches like Advil I recommend is, is good for those. But um, I just think that's definitely something you have to monitor where it's like their fit on the court, do their skills right now, help them, you know, contribute to a team and, and be a positive factor or are they going to need time to, you know, work on their game, work on their potential for everything to come together. I I just think that's definitely something you have to evaluate and take into consideration. Here's an interesting example that Mm -hmm. I didn't put on our little outline, but it's incredibly fitting to this particular topic value versus potential and fit is everything. Jane Hardy 
Right. Just talked about Jane Hardy in the G League, how immediate value, what he could bring to a team next year is spot-up shooting, movement shooting, making sure that he's in the right positions to ultimately put the ball in the basket and have to worry about as little else within the offense as possible. Now, it's important to experiment. It's important to figure out what a player can do and what they can't do. That's all part of the process. You have to figure out their potential and weigh their potential versus their value. But at the same time, if Jane Hardy is that that Buddy Heald or that Buddy Heald plus type of player that we talked about, maybe that is his, his ceiling or his, his ultimate outcome in the NBA. Are you asking Buddy Heald to run like 15 pick and rolls in, in the offense in the half court? Like probably not. So if you're asking Jane Hardy to hold a specific position that may be not playing to his strengths within the offense and you're seeing him make some of these mistakes or make some of these bad plays and that gets him out of rhythm to where he's not hitting shots, which is what he's most comfortable doing, that that's a problem. And that plays into his evaluation. That plays into him plummeting down draft boards to an extent. Now, obviously, there's like one or two other issues that we talked about on this very podcast, why we might not be as high on Jane Hardy once we're at the beginning of the season. But like, that to me is a great example of exactly what we're talking about. That fit can sometimes be everything. And in these like four or five games, his most recent games for G League Ignite, where he played and they simplified things within the offense for him and they asked him to play to his strengths, he was going out. You had the numbers for us last time where he was putting up like 25 plus points per game and he was shooting the lights out. So, like, that really does come into play when we're scouting. It's important to weigh things in the proper context and look at them through the right lens. Yeah, I think that probably is one of the best examples you can use with what I'm trying to talk about is Jane Hardy's fit right now is in the G League with the Ignite. They're trying to develop him as a draft prospect. They might be putting him you know, as a ball handler and pick and roll sets all the time on purpose so they can try to strengthen right. one of his weaknesses. So you have to evaluate that where it's like right. we're talking about we're nervous that he's having all these turnovers, this decision making. Maybe they're putting him to do that on purpose to try to improve that skill before the NBA level where that's where you have to evaluate like, OK, he might come into the NBA and his outside shooting, like you're saying, his movement shooting might be that fit, that NBA skill set that NBA teams are going to be like, that's what we want him to do. Right. But. Right now, he might just be working on his weakness because the Ignite is well, all yeah, about weighing, weighing value yes. versus potential. Exactly. exactly. So I, I'm completely in agreement with you. I think that's where you're, you have to start thinking about that stuff when you're evaluating guys. Maybe guys are in different roles or situations with their college or international teams. You know, maybe overseas, they're not getting a lot of minutes. You just have to weigh all of this stuff. It It all comes into it. A lot more does too. It's just... It's a mental grind that you have to pay close attention to all the details. So speaking of fits. Yes. Another section in your piece that, that we've alluded to, we're going to talk about Mr. Baldwin, but one year doesn't tell the whole story. And I know you said at the very beginning of this podcast that you wrote this to kind of give a guideline and to let other people think about how they want to evaluate prospects and come up with their own system. But I think this is one that really should be in the scouting handbook for, for everybody out there because I went through this in evaluating Cole Anthony and mm -hmm. 
you can you can like Cole Anthony for what he is in the NBA. You cannot like him. Maybe you want him to be your starting point guard. Maybe you don't. But the bottom line is that he clearly had more talent that was readily available going back to his high school days. Gets into a situation in North Carolina where it's ultimately not the best fit for him. But once he's put into a situation now going into his second year with the Orlando Magic, I know that he's kind of come down a little bit recently. I wrote about that in the sophomores column this week. But at the beginning of the year, through those first like one or two months, he was looking like a potential all-star. Like he was looking like a completely different player than what we saw at North Carolina. The guy who was shooting like three or 15 from the field, but also he wasn't able to make others better around him. We knew he wouldn't be necessarily contributing on the defensive end of the floor, albeit he does compete. But when you put him in the NBA with better talent, smarter talent, guys who definitely deserve to be there, it's amazing the type of chemistry that he's developed in terms of making those guys around him better on top of the shooting, the scoring, the potential three-level output that we wanted to project for him dating back to high school. And he was on some nights an unstoppable scorer at his position. And we have a situation like this this year with Patrick Baldwin, who Patrick Baldwin at the beginning of the year was like a top five projected pick in the preseason, and we watch him get to Milwaukee now. He threw up a bunch of stinkers against his quote-unquote best college competition he's going to be facing this year. He still had some struggles against Horizon League-level competition. He did have a few standout games where he shot incredibly well from three-point range and from the field overall, but if you're only focusing on the makes and the misses and you're not focusing on the context that's going on around him. And you're also not looking to see the positives and some of the other things that he does on the floor. That's, that's part of letting that one year tell the whole story and why you're going to rocket him down your board when quite frankly, he still may have lottery level or even in some cases, top 10 level talent. So why don't you talk to me about that whole segment of your piece and and some of your thoughts on, on that situation and others like it. Yeah, I think your Cole Anthony example is fantastic. It's it's perfectly put because um, Cole Anthony was a tough evaluation. Uh, You really saw the flashes. You saw, you know, some people were down on his efficiency, his his percentages, but. I mean, there were were scouts in the space, in in the public space, who I really, really respect as people and as evaluators who had him like barely break in the top 30. Yes. other boards last year and now i mean J- john hollinger just did uh, uh actually no it wasn't john hollinger I believe it was it was seth part now did the redraft with sam Vecini, and they were talking about it's between like him and maxi to go like six or seventh in a redraft like that range that is a very 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 wide range so uh, yeah i think you can learn a lot about that type of stuff too when people are all over the place about a prospect you can you can learn a lot about testing yourself of like, what, what do my eyes see? What am I trusting? What do I believe in? Like, that's something I said in the segment is like, if you put in the work, you should believe in your own, like what you're seeing, like bang the table for yourself. If you like a prospect more than everyone else, like, absolutely. That's what Nathan did with Cole Anthony. Like, and now I think, it was, I, think it was, it, I think the podcast was Chad Ford and John Hollinger, by the way, I, I get all these people mixed up. I listen to so many podcasts during my work day. It's insane because I, I thankfully I have a job where I can do my work, but also have a podcast or audio on in the background. They all yeah. blend together. But go, but go ahead. Good save there. No, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's really important that you have to weigh in the situation. Um, 
in one year, like I said, doesn't tell the story. A, a guy might struggle in college in his one and done year. And he might've been a prospect that scouts were buzzing about throughout high school or, you know, um, Jaden McDaniels was one I highlighted in the piece, like had a, a preseason. He came in as a top five projected pick possibly goes to Washington has kind of an up and down year ends up going in first round. Um, and then he's shown some flashes in the NBA. Like he, he looks like a guy that's going to be a really fun, intriguing talent. Cole Anthony had a rough situation with North Carolina that year. They just didn't have a lot of offense around him. So he kind of had to be all of it. And it just made him struggle. And it was one of those you had to weigh, are the flashes legit? Or are we paying too much attention to his stats and his percentages? And I just think you have to be patient. Like if there's a guy that thrives overseas with FIBA, um, Patrick Baldwin, what we just talked about. If you go watch his film, he really pops and you get really excited and you see Absolutely. why that guy was a top five pick. But now we're focusing on his one year at Milwaukee um, where they're giving him the ball and just being like, save us. And Well, in some cases, they're not even giving him the ball, which is really what I've tried to point out. Like when I've had conversations about Patrick Baldwin and some of the yeah. struggles, I'm like, his teammates, his own teammates will literally freeze him out. Like he'll be wide open on the wing and one of his teammates will penetrate, get two feet in the paint, defense collapses. He has nowhere else to go with the ball, but he won't pass it back out to the guy who's wide open on the wing who could potentially be like a lottery pick in the end yeah. of the draft. Like, that's the type of stuff that fascinates me about his situation. And and Baldwin was also a guy that you can go back and what we talked about earlier, pay attention to the off night. Like he had a tough night against Florida earlier in the year, but he showed some flashes where you're like, oh my goodness. So it's just really important to to not freak out after one year. Like obviously if you're watching a guy and you're pretty convinced that, you know, this, you just don't see it. You're not a fan. Like that's fine, but you also have to take in the slate of performances that's been leading up to this one year. That's why like it sucks to do just one and done guys, because if you see that one year, you're going to be like, okay, well, I don't see it. He still might be a stud. Uh, Cole Anthony to keep going off of Nathan's boy. Like if you go, I think I was doing his background when I was doing his draft guide write up. And I think he was one of the few players that ever averaged the triple double in high school. So, I mean, you could see when he had talent around him, he was a force. And I, I'm not saying like, okay, go up high school numbers because every prospect's going to have freakish numbers. But I just think it's really important. Like you have to trust your gut. Um, don't freak out if the situation isn't ideal for that player to showcase his skills. You know, maybe Patrick Baldwin goes to a situation in the NBA where he doesn't have to be a creator. He can be a exceptional complimentary piece. and he gets to use his strength to really flourish. And I think that happens with a lot of prospects all the time. He's rated out better defensively than I think a lot of people would care to admit by the numbers. He's rated out better passing the basketball in certain play types, including passes on synergy that I think a lot of people would be surprised about in certain games. He has shown us multiple possessions where he has stepped in and created his own shot or stepped back. And we've seen flashes of the guy who he was before he stepped on the court at, at Milwaukee. And he's shown some interesting skills that at his size, at, at, at I believe it's 6'9", it's a 
Jesus, sometimes I flip on the table. I think he's 6'10". He looks like a freaking giant out there, man. But a human being that size who can shoot the ball as fluidly as he can, like those players don't grow on trees. And right. I know that we have a lot of we have a lot of prospects this year with legitimate size. When we're talking about them built as forwards or centers who have these perimeter-based skill sets, but just because we have multiple options near the top of the draft doesn't mean we discount Patrick Ball because he's not having the best of seasons. So it, it is important to kind of take everything with a grain of salt, find the proper context, and don't, don't, don't let yourself get too negative at any one point about a prospect and have the feeling that, like, if they're not doing this now, they're not going to be able to do it a year or two from now if they get in a different situation. So that, that's really all that we're trying to say. The very last point that I wanted to bring up, you mentioned this in different pieces, but really the same stick to your gut and don't force it. Right. So obviously those two kind of go hand in hand. We should obviously trust our own personal scouting instincts and not let the court of public opinion have too great of an effect on our evaluation process. And why don't you kind of just elaborate a little bit on trusting your own instincts and why don't you kind of go into the idea of fighting groupthink because it's something that comes up in conversation with all of us in those ceilings on a daily basis when we talk about these prospects. Yeah, I think this is the most important thing when you're scouting or evaluating. If you're putting in the work and you're putting in the grind, like you should be your biggest fan. Um, I, I put it in an example, like, you know, it, everyone this year thinks Paulo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith are going to be the top three prospects in some order. Well, that doesn't mean you have to. If, if you've put in the time and watched everyone and, you think Jaden Ivey's number one? Like, go for it. Believe in it. Right. Uh, if you think Simon sure has helped us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, we are all our different type of artists. We are painting a different picture. Right. Um, you should be confident in what you're seeing. Like, go. I always joke. Like, if I see on the draft community that some prospects scorching hot, like, I want to go against it because I, I want to be like, no, I, I see things different. Like. I don't want to just move a guy up because everyone else is doing it. I want to. That was that, that was that was me and Tari Eason. Like a month <laughs> there you go. I'd I, say we I, all, we I all fought it, guy. but yeah. I had Chuck on the podcast and I let him talk me into it a little bit. Then I started to go down the rabbit hole and I started thinking of like comps that I was coming up with, and, and I brought myself around to it. Like, wow, maybe maybe this guy is like a borderline lottery talent in the draft. Like, yeah, there there are some points where you do have to fight some of your own personal biases, but it's important that you have that fight and you struggle with some of your own personal opinions and you let yourself come to that conclusion, not just letting the group get you to that conclusion. And you transitioned beautifully to what my next point was, is like, you can't force this. If I can't tell everyone how many times, like I've watched the prospect, I've watched three games and I'm like, I can't figure out this guy. So what I said in my piece is like, go away from it. That guy's going to be there. The film is not going to go anywhere. Like, go watch a couple more prospects, come back, get a if fresh If you're Metcalf, just flip on four hours of Johnny Davis film. Yeah, Metcalf only watches it. I think Metcalf just compares each prospect <laughs> to Johnny Davis, whatever he needs to. So, is, is there a ranking that we can have above number one for Johnny Davis? Can we give him like a 0.5 ranking? Is that technically ahead? <laughs> like, we need to create another tier for, for Johnny Davis and Metcalf. Metcalf's definitely figuring out if we can do it. So, 
Um, I just think it's really important. Like you don't have to figure all this out at once. It is a long marathon. It's a grueling process. Like don't overthink, like don't force an evaluation. If you need, you're going to need more time on guys. Like I've had games or prospects where I watched 10 games and finally I'm like, okay, I figured it out. Or I've also had guys that piss me off and I say, I screw this. I'm going to go see them play it next weekend and I have the opportunity to go see him somewhere and I walk away and I'm like, okay, I got an idea for him now. Like it's just, you have to find your own system. You have to trust it. And if you're putting in the work, you should absolutely stick to your guns, you know, bang the table for guys. Uh, I know stories of NBA scouts that, you know, they get in arguments with front office guys because they have their own personal beliefs. They go to war yep. of like, no, this guy is not going to be that person. You know, this guy's better. It just happens. Like if you put in the work and you're all those nights you're staying up watching film or all those days you're talking about guys, like you should believe in your own thing. You shouldn't focus on what the narrative is or the fact that everyone has this guy climbing up to sixth. If you think he's the 25th best prospect, believe in it. Like. Be confident about it, but be ready make to go case. to war. <laughs> yeah, totally. Be, be able to make your case. Maybe maybe you might not be right, but if you can at least come up with the proper case for the prospect, that's absolutely a conversation worth having. Like I, I remember when I would show up to the war room back at my old scouting job, and, and my old boss, shout out to Alon Vinikarov, he didn't necessarily care if we were right or wrong. He wanted us to go through the process and evaluate and come up with a real case to be able to stand on and go to war for a certain prospect, whether it was being too high on him or being too low on him. And the whole point behind that was he just wanted to have different opinions in the room, right? Like yeah. he wasn't looking for us to be perfect. He just wanted different discourse so that we could all think about things a little differently. And then taking all of that information that we had that was shared in that meeting, go home, marinate on it and, Maybe that leads us down a different rabbit hole. Maybe we're able to come to an even better point than we had when we first walked in the room. Yeah, I mean, I ask you guys all the time. I'll watch someone, and I it's not like I'm wanting to move someone up because of you guys, but I will say, why Taris? And like, and I just want to hear like what I want some different vibes. Oh, you love it when info. we comment in the chat. We're like, yeah, this dude sucks. Like you love no, it. No, cause no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like, really? Are you sure? Like, cause really? I'm about like, to watch him. Yeah. Yeah, like, cause so. that, yeah. Cause as soon as we say that, then you're down like a 10 hour rabbit hole to figure yeah, out. It, it, sucks. And I just like to educate myself of, okay, I watched the guy three games. I can't put my finger on it. I want to hear what someone else says so I can watch that differently because you're trying to teach yourself. You're trying to, get better as an evaluator. It's not like I'm saying Nathan messages me and he's like, man, we, this guy's got to be top 10. Then I'm going to be like, why? Like, tell why? me why you believe it. And then when I go watch him again, I'm going to be looking for that different angle so I can train right. my eye. Cause maybe Nathan sees something that I don't, you should right. be wanting to get better at this process. Like none of us are perfect. You're like, not, you're you're not putting them it. top 10 just because I said it. At least I sure as hell hope you wouldn't do that. You're no. not listening to what I'm saying. But if anything, I'm putting him in the, in the second round because you said he's the right. top 10. No, okay, right. but, now he's number 45. <laughs> like, but I do think it's very important that like you, don't, you shouldn't have all the answers or you're, you're in the wrong business because – you should be trying to pick the minds of other evaluators that you trust because you should be trying to get better at 
doing this process. Like this is something that you have to pick people's brains and put together your own system. Like that's what was my goal of writing that article. Yeah. Listen, man, nobody's perfect. We all get things wrong. Even the executives get things wrong. See the Portland Trailblazers recent trade shenanigans where now we're at the point where Gary Trent Jr. is basically given away for a box of cookies and Stephen A. Smith would like to say sometimes. But I mean, it, it happens. Like we all we all get things wrong. At the end of the day, it's about it's about growing. It's about getting better at this individually and then in turn getting better at this together when we're actually able to have discourse on platforms like social media and we're able to talk things out and not just yell back and forth at one another when we can actually come to reasonable conclusions because good cases have been made about these prospects and we're able to think differently. That's what this is all about. That's why, goodness, like that's why I want to be active on Twitter. It's not just to, it's not just to grow the brand. It's about having conversations with people who listen to this podcast, people who read our work, because that's how we get better at this. Like there, some, some random dude who I interact with on Twitter might get me to think about something differently. And I'll be like, yeah, this is why I'm actually on this platform in the first place. Like I want to have these conversations with people from all over, from from different walks of scouting life. Like I want to have these conversations. That's how we get better. But whew, what a podcast, man. What a pod. Now, it was long. What 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 a, what a freaking podcast. Do you, you have any other any other thoughts you'd like to share for for the general public listening out there? I mean, I know that this shouldn't necessarily be anyone's scouting manifesto or their scouting Bible, but for anybody out there who has watched college basketball and they've been intrigued by the young talent they're seeing, or maybe you've listened to this podcast or another podcast, or you've happened to stumble across one of our articles on those ceilings and you become more intrigued with the scouting process. Like these are things that you should absolutely pay attention to and, and take into account when you're trying to formulate your own process. We, we, we aren't perfect. You and I are not perfect, but we are experienced. We, we've been around for a little bit. We don't have as much experience as somebody like Chad Ford, for example, but we, we, we've been around the block and we've learned some of these lessons the, the hard way, myself included. I could, well, one day we will do this on those things. We're going to create a, a, a podcast or a video or something. Where we'll just be able to ramble on about our, our biggest misses in the draft sure. that, that that'll be important but like i i could rattle off some some really strong misses on my end but it's about it's about getting better and taking as much into account as possible so any any final words on the topic no i think you should just be open-minded um yeah. you know if someone has a guy low don't be like quick to be like oh you're you're an idiot like you should yes. never think that way like if someone has a guy low maybe you should okay why does he have him low like what is or maybe someone has someone way higher than you do. And you're like, hey, maybe he sees something different. What is he right. seeing that I'm not seeing? Like, just try to educate yourself. Don't don't jump on people for them having an opinion about something. Like, everyone's going to have their own views about this. So, ELE, everybody love everybody. Everybody loves everybody. That's right. That that That's the motto in No Ceilings NBA. So, with that being said, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Tyler, go ahead. This is this is your stage. This is your floor. Every single time you're on here, plug what we're doing in No Ceilings. I'm at noceilings.substack.com. Um, free NBA draft content every day. It has been so awesome. We're we're gonna add some more fuel to the fire and keep pumping it up and taking it up another level with the next couple of months because it's gonna get exciting around here. So yeah, follow us at No Ceilings NBA on social media. And um, Nathan, as always, thank you so much for having me on. 
yeah, the grind is quite literally going to be a grind. Like from from March and April all the way through to the end of the draft. I, I would, we're going to be so busy, man. But but yeah. it's it, it's going to be great with everything that we're doing. Hopefully, everybody appreciates the content out there. If you haven't seen any of it already, but yet you're listening to this podcast, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Please go check out noceilings.substack.com. Make sure you're subscribed. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you aren't subscribed, please go do so wherever you get your podcast at the podcast, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're following me on social media at Draft Deeper. So much more content coming in the pipeline. Again, by the time you're listening to this, we will have released our No Sillas composite big board. I'm going to be sharing my specific big board 3.0 on this podcast feed this week as well. I'm going to be having some NBA rookie conversation with Mr. Matt Issa over at Basketball News. He's going to be hopping on this podcast feed this week. Can't wait to chop it up with somebody who knows more about, far more about the NBA than I do at this point. I mean, geez, I'm, I'm, I'm so th- – that's that's the thing, Tyler. We get so involved, especially this year with this draft class with these prospects. Like, I know I keep up with everything going on in the NBA from a news perspective, but, like, the amount of games that I don't get to watch – during the scouting cycle, like I just flip on like the 76 is the other night. I'm like, damn, I miss watching NBA basketball. Yes. It's so good, but it's, it's had to be some sacrifices this year, but I'm right there with you. I think this is the least amount of full games I've ever watched when it comes to the NBA, but I'll get there. I'm going to catch up. I'm going to get right. there. Right. So that means that that just means I have to get somebody on the podcast who actually knows what they're talking about. Right. Right. But thank you so much again for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.